Ladies and gentlemen, after a two-week hiatus, the boys from Pounding the Table are back. Don't call it a comeback! Welcome back to episode 26 of Pounding the Table. Coming off our best weeks ever, life was amazing. We were chilling down in Miami, eating steaks and lobsters. I was out here feeling like Mace Tony, sitting on top of the world. Disappeared for a little bit, and we are welcoming back Foundation with open arms because last week it was really the first major pounding we took since starting the podcast. So there's a lot to talk about this episode. Young Simba is ready to return to Pride Rock and help lead Pound Nation to the promised land. First of all, Avi, don't call it a comeback because we've been here for years. Honestly, I'm really glad to be back in the booth. I think I don't want to ever take a vacation again because Pound Nation and honestly, the entire markets need us. If we walk away for two weeks, you see what happens. So we won't be going anywhere for a little while, guys. We can all settle down and enjoy the nice times we can hopefully have soon. But of course, the last two weeks have been a little rough for some people. So with that being said, this episode is going to be brought to you by KM Relief and 5e Hemp, which are CBD products we talked about a few episodes ago. As we said on the other episode, we're only going to be bringing sponsors on the show who we truly pound and genuinely like and use their products ourselves. And so we're selectively choosing them to sponsor this week's episode because after last week's mauling in the markets, we could all chill out a bit. It really is the perfect sponsor. And, and honestly, I do love this product. It's very natural and organic. I obviously love it because it is the strongest CBD or one of them in the market. Uh, they, of course, have the pain creams, the edibles. I actually love the olive oils. I know we talked about this last yeah, time. Yeah, the olive oil is so good, man. My dad loves it. He cooks with it all the time. If you guys are, are heat seekers, that chili olive oil is actually fire. You guys can go to 5ehemp.com or kmrelief.com. Either of those work. Different products slightly, but uh, use our promo code. It's PTT20. You get 20% off, and we'll be sharing that code across Twitter and email. For those of you who are new, and I actually realize there's a lot of people who are just starting to hit the table with us. They're just lightly tapping it for now. So you got to hear a few things and we'll talk about that. But I'll just give you that overview right now. Pound the Table is a podcast by Avi Mash and Anthony O'Hein, yours truly, where we talk about the stock market, the art of options trading. And each week we go through the news, we analyze it, and we provide our opinions and insights around how we think the markets are going to be impacted by it. And of course, we're throwing the disclaimer out here. The thoughts on this podcast are purely that of opinion and of our own personal investments. Everything said on every episode of Pounding the Table, as well as our Twitter account, our personal Twitter accounts, everything else are not and should never be used as financial advice, recommendations, or solicitation. Basically, do your own DD. And with that being said, Avi, let's really just get into it here. Got a lot to talk about. Seriously. And today we're not going to sugarcoat a thing. Parents, if you are listening with your children's, this is going to be a very raw episode. So put their earplugs on right now because Tony, what the fuck happened last week? We went from literally being peak life, Tony Montana, clean glasses, celebrating with the the peak life boys, Rachel from VS Traders, high yield six, (laughs) Sam smarter trader. I know I was laughing as we were having drinks. I was like, who are all these Pokemon cards with all these usernames? and stuff? (laughs) It was really funny to kind of bring that into real life. But, you know, it really felt like the worst hangover on Monday ever because the rug pulled literally from under us. Obviously, we were crushing it, but I kind of felt like a proud parent who left our kids at home. We went on vacation. We came back. The house was completely trash. So, Tony, before we clean up this mess, what exactly happened, right? Like, people are <laughs> talking about these rates. What rates are we even talking about? Credit card, home loans. Yeah. What are these rates? And 
what is the catalyst for all the sell-off of the SPACs here? Yeah, absolutely. So I just want to start this entire podcast by saying the last thing we left you with, when we left the kids at home to go and play, the last thing we left was the bonsai tree analogy and the step-by-step process of understanding and why like, I don't know if people noticed, but we haven't been talking about a lot of names recently. And people are like, oh, pound this, pound that. Go pound yourself. There's not a lot of things to pound right now. <laughs> okay, so we're over here trying to make sure that we're doing, you know, proper DD, proper research, and at proper times, right? This is this whole thing where people are like, you can't time the markets. Well, no, yeah, that's BS. Like, you, you definitely can. I do it all the time. And like a lot of people I know do it all the time. I'm not saying I'm going to time it every single time. But if you're sitting in front of your screen, figure out a thing or two. That's all I can say to start this all off. Because there's just been a lot of things that I've seen in the market that has really like kind of turned me off to a lot of the things that people are doing. And I want to just talk about all those things because it, I even did it to myself. So we're going to go through all of that. And I just want to start out by saying those, you know, because I'm feeling really heated on this episode. I can tell. Because I, I wanted tell. people to feel, right, I want, it's like, what, what sucks is seeing when people start losing money. And I can handle losing my own money, I'll make it back. But it sucks when you see, like, everyone on FinTwit, like, oh, I'm down this, I'm down X. Like, I just started listening to the podcast. Like, you have to understand the context of where we are, which is why the bonsai was the last thing we left you with, because the market was going up so much. The high like growth, high PE, high valuation, like speculative stocks have all gone parabolic. Like, why do you think we did mini monsters when we did it? Because that was before it happened. We knew small caps were gonna go nuts in December and January. Well, and we were we were laughing too, because like not laughing, because we both were right there with you guys, Pound Nation. We we also lost a lot of money last week. And so uh, one thing I will yeah, I say, I lost though, a million is, bucks last week, Avi. It happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't going to say it, but, uh, you can say it yourself, but, uh, yeah. So that definitely sucked for both of us. But one thing I did find interesting is when I did zoom out and we always talk about zoom out and see kind of where you really are at, uh, we were both up on the month of February somehow. Right. Yeah. I'm still up on the insane, month. You know? Ridiculous. It's the, the perspective and the context of where we are. It's like that level's not seen since three weeks ago thing, right. but everyone's I mean, acting like it's march 2020 again well it felt like that for me i, I was like I, I haven't gotten nervous for a while and it was just like oh my god for me at least you know i, I was no i i got nervous yelling. i got nervous for one one day i was like down over half a mil and it was just because that was the one position that had gone up so 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 much right, right. we'll talk about that too but i mean it, it's just we are all about this bonsai thing because it works because it is the truth because there's so many people just start throwing their money at these names like I've seen a million names I'm interested in on Twitter, but that doesn't mean you need to buy all of them. And, and, and I think a huge thing that we need to start talking about more of is being selective to your own taste because I'm selective to my own taste. I know there's a bunch of companies I'm not in that will do well, but I buy the things that I believe in that I know that when the market dives, I don't care. I'm going to be fine. I'm not going to get shaken out because I fully believe in the companies that I'm in. And if yeah. I'm wrong, I'm only wrong for today. I'll be right soon. I know you want to eventually become a politician, but going back to my original question, <laughs> interest rates and it, what was it? Was it interest rates? Was it bond rates? Yeah, what exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. No, here's all. So here, here's the thing: like you have the situation that's been happening for a long time, where it's just complete ripper magoo, right? You have nothing that's really bringing down the market. You, less and less COVID happening you know, more and more expansion by the Fed, you've got the bonds 120 billion a month, every month by the Fed, you know, and, and I think that people were just thinking, this is a nonstop train to 5000. 
I agree the train's going to 5,000 unless, you know, rates go higher and higher. So the only thing that I said since the beginning of the podcast is that when rates start going back up, when the Fed starts tapering, when the entire market looks less expansionary, because since March of 2020, it's been fully expansionary. It's been full steam on the gas pedal, like going to the moon as much as you can. We've had dips along the way. Anytime someone thought that there was even a 1% change in the 100% bullish expansionary thinking that everyone in the system is having. So that's the difference. It's not about how much rates change. It's not about how much tapering the Fed does. It's not, it's not about any of the actual amount. It's the psychology behind them doing it at all. That is the difference. It's 1%, 100%. It doesn't matter. The difference is if it's at all slowing down, people will start predicting it'll slow down more and it'll get tapered more. They're going to buy less bonds. Eventually, the Fed fund rates is going to go up. So what happened is like the 10-year and the 30-year, the yields were raising. That's it. Like the, the rates were going up and usually, right, like yields and then like the Fed funds rate, all this usually trends together, right? But Powell's not changing rates for a while. Maybe they do. Who knows? But I think that it's signaling that people think that the economy is better than it is right now or they're projecting that it'll be much better soon. So, and then that's what happens. Like healthy rates are like one, two, 3%. Like that's a healthy environment for the economy, not just like the market itself, right? This is not the healthiest market right now, right? We need to have real rates at like two and a quarter, two and a half. So that's actually eventually going to be fine. But the problem is now we're still dealing with the issues from the pandemic. So people got scared because it's like an ambiguous thing, which means that they're going to be mean regressive. So I think that rates will come back down like the 10-year the, the and like all the, uh, these rates. That's what you look at, right, for bonds, the 10-year bond like yield. I think those will come down, right? Like the 10-year touched 1.5. Like, you know, that's that's a huge rally from where it was. Like I remember it being like 0.5 or whatever it was like like a while ago. So as the 10 year has been going up, like these growth names are going down because they benefit like these high value, high PE names, they've gone up so much because of rates. So it's not a question of are we bullish or are we bearish? It's the fundamental infrastructure within the markets, the conditions that are setting the table for every stock. And that's why you see banks have been doing far better, right? So this is the difference that people are like not understanding. The S&P sold off. That was literally because of the bond auction. Like that was all correlated and everything and rates and all that. But you started seeing that the growth names got killed far, far more. That's not because they're getting sold off because of bearishness, in my opinion. They're getting sold off because they're expecting valuation compression in multiples. They're thinking that a stock trading at 30, 40 times today because rates go up we'll go back to trading at 10, 20, 30 times instead in a few months. So people are not going to be sitting here waiting to see if those stocks get hammered and killed once rates do come up eventually. And even though like the Fed said that the Fed funds rate is not going to change until 2024, the market can price in things differently and then it, it all will, will go together, right? So things can happen that even though people say something is going to happen until 2024, can happen far earlier, right? No one's word is binding by the law. Like it's it, those guys can decide on the dime. So that's what's been going on in the market. And that's why all those names sold off. However, the names that we talk about are names that will get great earnings, great revenue, and have good multiple valuations no matter what environment that we're in. It's just going to be, instead of trading at 30 to 40, it'll trade at 20 to 30. But in that time, by the time that happens, their earnings will catch up. So that's what I'm thinking. Like, I don't think that it's going to cause like an insane value compression like you're thinking. And I think that if the Fed has any intelligence, like they'll do it gradually. And I think that the market in the 10 year and like all that will come back to being normalized over time. 
I think that people are just assuming it's going up. Like they're just assuming that it's going to start being bad in the markets. Like rates are going to go like all the way back to two and a quarter. They're going to think that the Fed's going to stop buying in this and that. You got to keep the market rolling because we're not out of the damn woods yet. We still have more cases than we did in July. So you have to pay attention. You are phenomenal. That was zero edits. You just literally spoke for nine minutes straight. That was uh, absolutely incredible. Are we turning into a bond show? Like we, we kind of jokingly became a SPAC <laughs> show. Are we a bond show yet? No. No, no, I, I don't, I don't like, I don't invest in bonds. Like the time to buy bonds was when like UAL was trading at 52 on par. Like that was the time. Right. And like, so also I would recommend people learn about this stuff. Like if you're buying stocks and you don't understand the bond market, don't buy stocks. Like you have to understand things that can impact your stock. So go learn the bond market. Right. Go learn the options market. Even if you're just an equity trader, what do you think has an influence on your stocks all the time? Options expiration, quad witching, gamma flows, all this matters. Like you got to know it all or else you're not going to know shit. That's the thing mm -hmm. about the market. That's a, I mean, that's the thing about life, to be honest. How long do you think this will last for? Right. I mean, we, we saw this little shift. You said to banks, we even saw like airlines, right? People thought Corona's numbers are coming down. You know, is there a shift to value now or and if there is, I guess, how long do you think that would last for? All right, here's what I'll tell you. The markets are, oh, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. I told you I didn't know if I wanted to say it because it'd be <laughs> controversial. I'm going to say it. The markets are getting smarter because of the demographic within the market. You're putting in kids who are younger. You're putting in kids who went to educated colleges a lot of the time who are getting in the markets way younger and way earlier because of the access that they have to it. People are trying to talk about this in comparison to 2001 and 2007. You're comparing apples to oranges, peaches to pears. It's bananas. None of it makes sense. Like, you can't compare things like that because it's a completely different situation. You have 500% more accounts open and they're by people my age and a little bit older. So you can trade those guys are a dump today. Right, know? exactly. Those guys are phone. different. They're, they're trading different than they were in 2007 or even in the 90s when you were in the pit. It's not the same situation. You have globally accessible, instantaneous information everywhere. It's not the same game. So I think that anything that really happens in the next three to five years will end up being bullish. I think that we're going to get completely fine out of this pandemic issue, the financial situation of the country. Like, yeah, am I optimistic? Yes. But I also understand that the shift that's happening in the economy is not, you can't compare it, right? So it's automation is taking over. Margins are going up. You need less people and you make more money. And like, of course, you're like, oh, well, consumption is going to go down. Well, Who's the people who spend the most money, the people who have the higher bracket of income? And it's like employment numbers. Like, yes, there's people who are unemployed, but, you know, those people become discouraged workers. So the numbers look better. And then the algos code to those numbers. So unemployment's all BS anyway. Like, this is how the world works, mm -hmm. right? The winners are going to write the history book. And they're not going to write that they're losing. So <laughs> in my opinion, as long as the conditions stay roughly the same, right? Like the 10 year can spike because of a crazy bond auction and a five Sigma move on that day. Learn that too. But besides that, I think that this is going to be fine. It's an opportunity for me personally. I'm starting to add more of my core positions, but I'm glad I kept the bonsai the whole time. I mean, what I did learn is that when the bonsai explodes to an oak tree, when the thing just overnight like turns into jack and a beanstalk, you go in there with a machete, you go in there with two wood chippers and you cut it up in half and you figure out what to do because that's what happened, right? Like my two largest positions are CCIV and CMLF. And they both went berserk. I mean, I like literally made like four, three, 500% on CCIV on the stock, right? But like I had warrants. So I made like a thousand percent on the warrants 
And then CMLF, like I had the units from 10, sold them at 28, got into warrants at seven, and they're still at seven, but they went to 13. So, and these are like big positions for me. Like I'm talking like breaking my rules, large positions. So here's the thing about that is I never got used to sizing so quickly. So there's one thing to deal with the bonsai, right? Like, and I want to reiterate that you really need to have that base. Those NAV 10 to $12 SPACs, it's meant to be 10 to $12, not 15, 16, $17. People are like, mm -hmm. oh, well, like my SPACs are down 10, 20%. You're not buying SPACs at that point. You're buying a stock. Understand the difference. So when mm -hmm. you're buying 10 to $12 NAVs, you do have that safety and security, right? Like if the market flushes completely, are you going to trade under NAV for a day or so? Maybe. Are you going to be able to redeem it anyway for cash and interest? Yes. So it's different if you buy it at 11 versus if you buy it at 15. It becomes in a different bracket when you buy it 40% higher. So, so what do you, I know we were talking about this actually, and, and I brought this up to you, you know, saying this exact same thing where some of these NAV SPACs that we've been buying are no longer those $10, $11 SPACs. Right. Now they're $15, $17, right? And so right. that's kind of where we got caught with CCIV, which we're going to talk about here in a second. But I guess I always say you either win or you learn in life. What what did you take away or what did you learn from this experience? Look, man, I talk about how great I am all the time. I got my ass handed to me in the last week and a half. Like, it, it's the truth. Like I, I, I can come on here and say how good I am and how great I am all the time, but I got fucking whopped too. And it happens. <laughs> it happens to everyone. And so here's the thing. I still closed green on the month, but I was up like a lot more. And that is okay because in my mind, like along with the bonsai, you have personal goals because the bonsai, when it gets sick, you need to get a new bonsai, right? Like if it starts to die, you, you can water it all you want, but you don't sit there and you wait at its bedside to try to make it better. You just go out and you get a new bonsai. I mean, I probably still plant it and see what's good, but like, I, you know what I mean? Like you have to switch <laughs> it out for the right move at the time. So I set myself to have stops. You know, if I start the month and I go up a bunch, I will not let myself close negative. So I start selling stuff before I can close negative because if you do it on the time frame of where was I January, where was I February, where was I March, one month of gains is not gonna mess you up. Six months of gains will mess you up and a year of gains will fuck you up. So that's the difference. So if you lose that, then your bonsai shit anyway. You have to make sure that you have your goal. And that's my goal, right? My goal is to make money every single month of my life. So I make sure I don't mess it up when I make money that month. But did I did I do a bad job by only trimming a third? Yeah, and I, I didn't even trim any CMLF. Like what I did though was actually like, honestly one of my most brilliant SPAC moves. I had a ton of CMLF units, right? I had very few warrants. The CMLF units went from 11 to 28. I dumped every single unit at 28. Okay, yeah, whatever. I, here's a, the short-term tax guys, la, 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 like, shut up. So I sold them at 28, took all that money, put them in the warrants at seven and the warrants went to 12 but CMLF came down eight and the warrants were still over seven. So that's how you capture arbitrage and that's how you trim a bonsai without even taking out the hedges. We've been leaving a little bit of carrots here along the way that we will be discussing CCIV and how could we not after the last few weeks with this stock? It's been absolutely insane. One of the best stocks of the years to the worst stocks of the years to now hopefully we're in a healthy spot. But you know, we were talking about the trimming that we did prior to the actual DA date and we got about a third off, but clearly we didn't get enough, right? And so in terms of holding the bag per se, right? Did we hold the bag or are we going to look at this two to three years down the line and be like, you know what? I kind of wish we did not trim that third. I left a million and a half on the table when I sold my Tesla shares to buy the car. Single worst investment of my life. And I was sure I was right as I am right now. 
So no, I didn't get, I didn't hold a bag. Like, did I have warrants that I bought at five, go to 40 and I only trimmed a third, regardless, I trimmed a third over 40 and that paid for the entire position. Even if it goes to zero, I made money. So that's mm -hmm. fine. But the problem was the discrepancy I had within myself of my goals to my risk, because my goals made me want to have a steep progression every single month of the year, right? To get to a really, 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 really high account value at the end of the year. Okay. But because I trimmed a third at 40, because I, I didn't think it would go to 30 or 27. I thought it'd go down to the forties. I don't have to worry about it because I'm trying to get more and more long-term taxes on the books versus short-term. So I'm trying to be more of a long-term trader because as the numbers get better, the bigger, the taxes matter more. So I should have sold more because mentally I was like, this thing went from like the warrants went from five to 40 in less than a month. I could sell like 80% here at 40 something, 42, and then buy as many other warrants at four or three or two as I want. And then 10x the 10x and that's 100x so i was being stupid mentally like once the warrant's 40 bucks where the hell do you think it's going to go in terms of like that then it becomes opportunity cost of capital but along with that it becomes additional risk right like you were saying we started with the nav ccib was nav i bought it at 12.89 like that was nav at the start now it's not nav it went to 65 that's called risk my friend and we i did not calculate the risk to my goals properly because I'd never had something like move my account up in ways that I was like screaming and not understanding how like I'm up so much. Right. So I got caught by my sizing issue, but it's because I made too much and that's okay to give some back. And like, I know a lot of people are like, Oh, all my holdings are like down a lot, but I'm still up on them. It's okay. Right. Like if you're up on them and you probably bought them recently or whatever it is, it's like, happened in the last three weeks it, it's just the same place it was like you look at the chart ccivs where it was two and a half weeks ago right so nothing mm -hmm. fundamentally changed like i didn't i don't think i lost money and that's wrong because you are where you are i did lose money but mm -hmm. i know that in the long term i'm going to be right like having stocks and warrants makes me much less worried than having a, like a big amount of options which is why like the bonsai only says like five to 10% options between leaps and short-term and hedges simultaneously. There's a reason for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was actually just talking to my, my buddies, Jaffe and, and Kaminsky shout out boys. So you guys get some love, but we were just talking about, you know, how the mindset has shifted so much where if you don't go up 40% in a day, like that stock sucks. When in reality is people used to think 40% in a year was an incredible year. Right. And so 40% in a year is, is the single best hedge fund. Like that's yeah. like top, Top 1%. And yeah. so I think just like we have to get away from this mindset of thinking if, you know, you had a 10% month, that's phenomenal. <laughs> like we can't be right. thinking that. Are if gonna you have, have a 5% month, month, if you have a 3% month, it's great. I mean, like I had a 100% January. It's absurd. Like it's yeah. not normal. We all know it's not normal. So here's the thing. Like this is just the basically end all be all. Make your money while it's hot. Don't screw it up. Pay your bills off. Pay off your debts. Buy the things that you know are going to hold value if the market comes down and the valuation compresses and rates go up. Have yourself a little life hedge, right? Like, you know, real estate is not going to be as cheap if rates start going back to three, four, five percent. It's just not going to be the same, right? Like, you're getting anyone to be able to buy any house now with almost like, you know, it's easy now. And we're not even as levered as 2008. So it's not going to be like a huge, horrible crash. I think I think that's going to present an opportunity. I think that house is going up 40% almost like across anywhere I'm looking at. It's like 27% average or something. It went up across the country. Like that 
amount of dollars is nuts. And that all gets reverted back with increases in interest rates because it's harder to get loans for houses. And not everyone has fixed loans, right? It's variable. So things will change. It'll get constricted. It'll get shortened. But those are things you got to start looking at, like other things where you can put your money in places where if this does happen, when this does happen, Mm because it will, you're ready, right? All right, let's drive the conversation back to Lucid. <laughs> Are you parking your cash? Both those were two uh, amazing car I see uh, that. funny nice. jokes there. Um, are you parking your cash in Lucid for the long haul? And, you know, compared to Pokemon, which ones are going to be holding longer here? Oh, yeah. All right. So, I mean, Lucid, here's the thing. I have more, <laughs> I have more Lucid now than I did before, but that's because I added back what I trimmed at 40 around 13s. So, That to me is the way I like to play this game. People are like, why are you always actively trading? Because I got to buy three times as many warrants for the same amount of cash and book the first gains. Like that's how you do this. Like this is how you consistently make money because if things are sinusoidal going up and down over time, trending upwards in this market right now, I get it. You don't want to time the market. You don't have to time it all, all the time. You can just take a third off here. If it goes lower, you can buy it back if you want to. It's not a definitive do it or don't do it thing. But in terms of CCIV, I'm glad I did because what I love about it, and I was digging in this deep last night and I was like just thinking how crazy it is that I was in Tesla's my first pound, right? At a hundred. And it took years and years for it to take off. And I looked at the comparison on where Lucid and where Tesla is today, right? And like, I am in no way beating on Tesla. I am Tesla. All right. So like, it, it's not like that. I love Tesla. I have a wall poster. I have one, right? That's how much I like it. But that doesn't mean there's not enough pie to go around. And I say that all the time because there is, there's 8 billion people on the earth. Somebody's going to buy a Lucid. So the way that I think about it is Tesla and Lucid are pretty much in the same place, but 10 years apart. Like Lucid's where Tesla was around 2009, 2010. And back then, the problem for Tesla, and it's been the problem, and it still kind of is the problem. It stopped being the problem because they actually started crushing, but it was the problem the whole time is their cash on hand. They didn't have enough cash to do operations. They had $47 million cash on hand in 2010, Tesla. 47 million. Lucid has $4.4 billion of cash on hand today. They have a car that already has 517 miles of range further than Tesla, right? Zero to 60 and 2.5. And here's the thing. This isn't about the cars. It's never about the cars. If you think it's about the cars again, I was right five years ago and I'll be right again today. Just turn me off now because it's not about the cars. So it's about the change in energy, the electrification revolution that Tesla led the way. They cleared out all the brushes so Lucy could just roll down the street to success. And that's what's going to happen. They have the range. They have the tech. They have the group on the, everyone in them is from Tesla or like, it's like everyone is a boss on them. Like Al Mulally, like it's not, it's a huge stand-up line of people to make this succeed, right? The CEO built the Model S. So it's not whether or not he can succeed in building a great car. He did that, all right? He's like, I already did this. Let me go make my own. And the only person who does that is somebody who's confident enough and thinks he's smart enough to do better. Yeah. So that well, is you, the difference. I think you brought up a good point too, though, you know, in terms of Tesla leading the charge. I know I made that analogy of, of trudging through snow. I was saying that one kind of made sense to me, right? If you're thinking about someone walking through snow or walking through sand, it's a lot easier to kind of follow in their footsteps. Yeah. And they have so many things that they haven't even started. 
Okay, so here's the thing. The projections for Lucid were not based on them getting a SPAC. Nobody is just like really thinking of the context here. These documents for the investor presentation, the projections were the projections that they had before this all happened. What are they going to do with the 4.4 billion? What do you think if Tesla did what they did with 47 million? What do you think Lucid's going to do with 100 times the amount of money? If you think that their production is going to be longer in time than Tesla's was, you're wrong. It's going to all be faster. Lucid's going to come out with everything months and months, and in fact, eventually years faster. They're building their plant in Arizona. Tesla didn't get to building a sick plant like that till a while after. So here's the thing about it. For me, it's just they're in the right place, and they know what to do. And I, and I think about it in the same way as Elon, because all these companies are indistinguishable unless you look at the CEO and the team around it, right? Like Lucid looks cool. I still think the Teslas look better. I think Lucid will be smart enough to make their cars look sexier. But regardless, the car itself and its integrity is sick as it is. But here's the thing. The CEO of Lucid, I've watched him talk for like 10 hours at this point. I watched Musk talk for a thousand hours. Like, this is the guy I'm putting my money on. That's it. I mean, it's that simple. He understands what he said. If you really listen to people, you know what they're going to do before they do it. And he's like, Lucid's not just a car company. Musk said that. Are you going to doubt it again? Are you going to be a jackass again? You, if you are, you are. Like, it's not going to be a car company. They know they're going to go into battery. Look at their tech. They're keeping it proprietary because they know now it's not about getting it out to the market. Tesla gave away their patents. Lucid has the best patent for it right now that's about to be in production in 2021. It's not a pipe dream. It's just a really big pipe at $15. So it is valued. Like I just want to cover this really quick. At 50 bucks, the stock is worth give or take 80 billion. That's how that works. And so for me- The company next year, they're projecting to do 2.2 uh, billion in sales. I still think it's going to be more. I mean, they have so much money now. You know, it doesn't cost 10 billion to build a factory. You can build two for like two, three billion, four billion. They have the money to do that. And then they're going to make it uh, one in, in China. They have to. They have to. And their cars are built for people in China specifically because a lot of drivers in China are more chauffeur style. And that's what Lucid has the optionality to be a chauffeur like car. So it, they know they're, they're thinking about the little 4D things. Every car is going to come standard with the capabilities for level four autopilot. Nobody even thinks that they are the autonomy play as well. And not to mention that their battery tech, which I've already mentioned, is proprietary and they're not giving it out to people, is absolutely sick. The size of their motor is three times smaller than Tesla's. Think about the scarcity in terms of the demand costs for materials that go into the cars will be over time. They have the smallest motors. They have the same price cars. That's margin, folks. Like this company knows what to do. They will do power packs. They will do solar. They will do everything that Tesla's doing and just as much, if not more. It's about how much money they can get from what they're doing right now, how much craze and hype they can get. And then they're going to just do what I think they're going to do. They're going to be Tesla 2.0. And we're all going to say, well, it's a car company. Why is it valued this way? And you'll see the people who didn't learn the first time. Just real quick before we jump into the stocks here. Pre-show, you were mentioning that your Pokemon cards have actually now outperformed your your portfolio. Is that true? Yeah, man, they actually have. So this is actually insane. I was the biggest Pokemon geek when I was younger. Like I have boxes of cards, boxes and boxes. I played them like a degenerate at the local Borders Express. So they're all screwed up. Uh, I did keep some really nice ones though, thank God. But I've been collecting them for like the last six months because I started noticing that it was getting hot again. People sell Pokemon stuff on Etsy, you know, Amazon record sales. And then I noticed that like PSA started taking longer to grade their grading company. And I noticed that Pokemon was having issues printing. And so I was like, all right, so, you know, 
demand over the top, not enough supply, can't grade your cards, can't post them, can't link them, buy everything and wait two years. All right, so that's what I've been doing. So I started buying all these XY Evolutions packs and they're sick because they're the reprints <laughs> of the original. They're first edition reprints of the first edition original in 99. And that's the box that Logan Paul literally last night just opened up a million dollars, 40K a pack, 36 packs in the box. And he lost we money because you of- are doing this, man. Yeah, we're, I, we're I will. Open down. Up Pokemon cards live. I'll sell them all to Twitter and we'll do it. But because I've been, these boxes are worth money now. So it's less, <laughs> it's, it's less for the fun. That's your um, cooking show. But yeah, <laughs> at the cooking show. That's, it's crazy though, because like people are just slamming collectibles. These like NFTs are going crazy all over. Like yeah. anything that could be cool and have value is rocking right now. And Pokemon is the single largest grossing franchise ever everyone's doing unboxing like they're literally taking off these old boxes that previously didn't have tons of value because there was a lot of them but now everyone's unboxing one a week like and all these youtubers are making money because logan paul had three hundred thousand people watching last night and he pulled two freaking zards he pulled two charizards first edition eight hundred thousand dollar cards so i bought a bunch of xy original packs and what i've been doing is actually like scalping some arbitrage you can buy different grades of cards and have them regraded if you wait 12 to 24 months. So I've been slamming buying CGC who used to grade comic books. Like they're the industry standard in comic book grading, but now they pivoted to cards because the other grading companies take 12 months. And so this one takes two. And those are the ones that are really on the market at a 50% discount. And then in 12 months when PSA is back to normal and there's a supply glut, I hit the arbitrage. I regrade it. I still make money. Everyone else loses money. And then I can just ride the wave and never be down ever. And that's how you trade Pokemon cards. And that's how you trade the market. And that's how you live life with the trade mind. (laughs) I love it. And I'm laughing here about this, but I was also laughing about some of these dodgy coins, dog coin, whatever, some of these goofy things thinking they're fake, but like, Listen, if people have money that they want to spend and people are willing to sell, any Dude. product could have value. And Pokemon is the, You see the this Beeple here. guy making NFTs? Beeple is going to be like a billionaire. He is just crushing selling these NFTs and they're just starting. So I'm going to get a pounding the table NFT here. It's coming. It's, it's coming. coming. L- limited Let's make edition. It happen. Million bucks a pop. let's get back into stocks our audience (laughs) is gonna fall off here we're gonna look at the analytics and just see people drop all right guys while tony's out there uh slinging some charizards and pikachus i'm gonna give a quick huge shout out uh for one of our thesis picks this was actually something that was on our pounders bible that we're reintroducing our boy sea juice who is what i call one of the pounding fathers of ptt because he's been a fan for quite some time so huge shout out to our boy c juice who just kept pounding over and over again fcac and it looked like it was a fan favorite because i think about 30 or 40 people were asking us to to dive in here so fcac is falcon capital acquisition corp which is going to be merging with ShareCare. What does ShareCare do? They provide consumers with personalized information, programs, and resources to improve their health. They reduce the cost of healthcare overall by focusing on prevention, right? Which has been a huge theme for us here. To make these customers more self-aware, have lifestyle management, life coaches from your phone, and a whole lot more, right? So they just recently have done over 11 acquisitions. They built out this $500 million platform that allows anyone to understand where they sit in their health journey, right? So if you think about you have an app for, you know, riding your bike, you have an app for this, an app for that. And really what they're trying to do is fix this fragmentation that exists throughout all of these mobile apps, right? You have this digital health hub that sits across telehealth. 
pharma, medical devices, pregnancy, behavioral health, which sounds like a lot, and it is. And I think this is perhaps one of the only fears I have about this company is that they are doing so many things. Are they going to be able to execute? As we do with all SPACs, we want to take a look at their management team. So their management team consists of Alan Munchkin, who's going to be the CEO of FCAC, Jeff Sagansky, who's a familiar name from DraftKings and Skills, uh, and the CEO is Jeff Arnold. This guy is an absolute wizard. He started his career with building physical health monitor for your heart. In 1998, what he's probably most famous for is WebMD. He then created How Stuff Works. It's an amazing website. So this guy's absolutely brilliant. He's huge on trust and healthcare. Obviously, it's very imperative to make sure your patients trust you. They're giving you a lot of personal data, HIPAA rules, et cetera. So we'll dive into that a little bit later. And their CEO is Pam Shipley. She was a big shot at Centene, managed over $17 billion in revenue. Their partnerships are incredible. They got a partnership with Oprah, with Dr. Oz, nice. with Discovery Communications, with Sony. You get healthcare and, the- and you get healthcare. And exactly. You get healthcare. Just check on your seat. <laughs> but they, they have these insane partnerships. They got a partnership with Aflac, Blue Cross Blue Shield, Quest Diagnostics, Wells Fargo, Remark. And they actually have pretty solid fundamentals. This is one of the areas where I think the markets you know reacted negatively to them. So I'll dive in here a little bit. But mm. right now they're valued at $3.9 billion. I don't think the markets love that. However, considering to the rest of the SPACs, we saw what happened last week where everything got crushed. You know, one is this is very close to the NAV still. So sitting at under 11, this seems like an absolute steal. They have 51% of their money as institutions. They're already profitable. So that's massive. They have stable revenue. 95% of the revenue for 2021 already booked, Tony. That's yeah, insane. Whoa, 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 whoa. So e- either they're not going to do anything for the rest of the year or they're going to blow out estimates like way out of proportion for the year, which are great mm-hmm. estimates. I mean, like you've got 330 million for last year, 396 for this year, 2023 is going to have 629 million, but they got 324 million in gross profit that year. 342. Three four yeah three forty two that's insane like EBITDA fifty one percent none of the other health companies in the slightest are even close to this like this thing's gonna be a cash making machine sounds like a double pound here yeah honestly the fundamentals got it for me I mean look looking at like the fact that all their revenues already booked right like it's, you know it's a very stable sticky business so people who are looking to invest in like healthcare you know, the wave of healthcare are going to want to look for something that has attractive valuations. I feel like healthcare is still like a, for lack of a better word, boomer industry. And Mm -hmm. this is how you can get someone to dip their toes in because, you know, you look at TDOC, right? Like TDOC is the holy grail of this, right? We pounded Livongo for forever. And then we still pound TDOC. It's at the head of the table, but here's the comparison between 2021 and 2023, their revenue CAGR is 29% versus 26 for share care. So it's not like that far off. But the difference is in 2023, ShareCare is going to make 342 million in profit, and TDoc's only going to make 100 million in profit. And it's not like TDoc's profit curve like goes vertical from there; it'll steadily increase strongly and be like a strong dollar amount. But that's a huge difference in profit off the bat at the similar growth. I mean, it looks like a leaner business, and it's trading at seven four times next year's revenues. Meanwhile, TDoc's trading at 15, and Amwell is at 20. So it's got the best numbers out of the group. And I like that, you know, the revenue cut, like 26%, that's, that's not amazing. Like I like 55, you know, I like a lot more, but for this kind of play, that's a great number. And, you know, they have the, I know you're going to talk about the double reverse merger and that'll Mm -hmm. feed into it too. But the fact that they already can, you know, book 95% of their revenue and they can project these numbers 
this is not a company that's going to miss reports. They're going to beat it by 30, 40, 50% every time. So right. I like that. Well, and that, and that's the thing. I think that's why it probably didn't shoot up like some of these other, you know, SPACs that we've talked about is because they did have that slow growth, but wait, there's more Tony. So I'm going to talk to you a little bit about some of the things that they're going to be doing here in the future that I think to your point is just going to absolutely knock this out of the ballpark. So Already, they have 100 million users. So this is not some new company that hasn't been around, that has no you know, concept that this is actually going to happen or not. This is happening, and it's happening now. They got 1.1 million providers, 15 million followers across social. I checked them out. They're pretty active. You know, I think that's some sort of an indicator in terms of how people appreciate the NPS score of the company, more or less, right? Uh, I took this really cool thing. They have this real age assessment you can take online. Uh, I was about the same age as myself, which I was pretty surprised <laughs> at. It takes your real age, looks through all these health questions that you have to answer. Uh, what they're doing, I'm no dummy here. Obviously, they're collecting tons and tons of data on me, right? And so they have 45 million people that have done that already. And their CEO describes them as this data company, right? So they're B2B to P, which means B2B to person, as they call it, instead of B2C for some nice. reason. But they, uh, they manage employer, healthcare, consumer, large Blue Cross, Blue Shield, Delta Airlines, Walmart. They have four different business lines right now and growing. So they do have the consumer, which I'll talk about here in just a second, provider, enterprise. And then what I'm really excited about is this health security and digital vaccines. They're viewing this as a billion dollar opportunity that's currently not on the revenue predictions, right? So looking at their consumer, first and foremost, they have partnered already with Eli Lilly, Merck, Gilead, AstraZeneca, AbbVie, and more. Uh, as I mentioned, they have 100 million users. This is about 56 million in revenue for their business. They're looking at about 65 the following year, but they're adding about 400,000 new users per month. This is insane. This is, again, just from the okay. customer side. And they have 80% okay. of the people that sign up are renewing. So they're retaining 80% of that consumer audience. So let's dive quickly through some of their business lines. You got the consumer line, which is partnered with Eli Lilly, Merck, Gilead. They have 100 million users already on this, right? Then, of course, they have the provider side, also recurring revenue here. They did 80 million in 2020, 104 they're looking at in 2021. And then as well as the enterprise, which is only 27 large employers to date. That is State Farm, Delta, Samsung, Walmart, Georgia state government. So there's a lot of money to still be made there. That's only 27 clients. Imagine once they get to 100, 150, et cetera. That's the biggest portion too. That's 58% of the revenue, 190 million last year, 227 million in 2021. So these guys are absolutely rocking. Healthcare is, you know, it's it's not the sexiest of businesses, but what I think is really cool is they're starting to gamify or incentivize humans to start to care about their health more. So one thing that I thought was really interesting is the, the governor in Georgia, they reached out to them, got the government on board. And so now the governor pays $2 a day if someone has a green day, quote unquote. And these green days is either a red or a green day based on how healthy you were that day. And so it's a little big brother-esque, but it incentivizes people to live healthier. And on the back end, then insurance companies, states, everything is going to have so much money extra by not having to pay for emergency rooms and right. wait till the last second where that gets expensive, right? Dude, Avi, so how is your pound literally my pound? You're like, not this stock, but the next, <laughs> dude, what, what's coming up? It's like, we know we have to focus on data. We know we have to focus on getting to the people and just cutting out these absurd costs. And that's just going to make not only the country, but people all over the country better. And, and then carry on. But I like, I'm you're, you're echoing the thoughts that I'm about to talk about for the next pound. So yeah. Uh, 
and, and I'm not the best person to say this because I'm not the most in shape person, but if one of my friends mentioned a while back, like, hey, I don't get in shape because I stay in shape. And that's like such a genius thought because wow, yeah. it's like Preventing. going to yeah. the hospital and waiting to the last second, or you can manage yourself day by day. And that's really right. what they're trying to inspire here. Procrast- so, don't procrastinate on your health, folks. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'll fly through the rest of this very quickly. But uh, as I mentioned, George has already got 640,000 employees on this thing. Teachers, firefighters, everyone kind of in Georgia government is now using ShareCare. They're talking to 10 other states right now. And so this is going to happen very quickly. This company really could blow up. The most exciting thing, I think, is this digital house passport, right? And so there's all this talk about how are people going to get back to work? This part is a little big brotherish. You know, what they're going to have is, again, this health portfolio that you essentially have a passport for 24 hours. You can log in. They'll say you're healthy. You don't have any of these diseases. And guys, this is not going to end at Corona. Like this new life, I hate that phrase, but this new life, this new world that we're living in, they're planning for the next pandemic. They're wanting to get ahead of this. And so managing their own government day by day, it's a lot healthier to make sure that someone just checks in very quickly than to spend billions and trillions of dollars on the next pandemic. Absolutely. I mean, like when we were in Miami, I remember just all the places that we went to go eat or the hotels and stuff, they all had these little machines where you had to do your temperature check and they like scanned your face and this and that. And like, it wasn't just like reading my temperature. It was like, am I sick? And it's, it's like, you were sending me this book, right? And like, I, I was going to use this in the next pound, but I'll just talk yeah. about it here. Cause it's all the same. It's like uh, physics of the future where you literally go to the bathroom and it tells you, are you sick or healthy? And it's like, that's the consistency of the pace that you should be checking your health, right? Theoretically, let's say that at any point you can develop a tumor or something. Would you not want to know the first day you have it or three months in? The earlier you're there, the more you live. The faster you can deal with it, the more you live. And the more things that you can check on in yourself, the more you live. Like this is an industry where, once again, if you don't believe in it, you're just an asshole. Yeah. Well, and I think it will help the economy get, you know, everyone has their own personal privacy, et cetera. Like, I don't personally care. I love seeing ads. Yeah, but that- this is hippo, right? <laughs> like, this is hip- this is hippo rules. Like, this privacy is extended through the internet. Like, it's, and first of all, all of this will become on Ethereum smart contracts, medical records. We, we pounded the table on Ethereum, by mm-hmm. the way. Like, it's not doing too hot, but whatever. Like, close your eyes 10 years. But still up 500%. But the thing is, like, all of these medical records will be stored on Ethereum blocks. Like, it'll be done through Ethereum smart contracts. It'll be sent over. Like, we talked about, it's one of the biggest uses for blockchain and the Ethereum platform in general. So that's not going to be a problem with, like, security and, like, making sure your privacy is this and that. Like, you mm-hmm. want people to know how many steps you're taking if it's going to make sure that you don't have cholesterol issues and stuff, right? Like, they're not sharing yeah. it. It's not, it's not a Cambridge Analytica scandal kind of vibe here. It's already a really highly regulated, like it has to follow and abide by HIPAA rules. So there's no difference than, you know, going to a bank or using Plaid. This is the same thing. Yeah. Well, and you think about it too, it may be something where you just opt in, right? Like people may want to opt in to get $2 a day extra or right. get a gym benefit. Right. You know, if they're getting points for living a healthy life, maybe get $40 back a month on your health insurance or something, right? So they're gamifying that and setting it up. And this is not just for work, right? This could really happen across multiple sectors, across hospitality for hotels, bars, restaurants, arenas, watching concerts, you know, you name it. And this is already happening. They have clients like the W Hotel, Ritz Carlton, and they're doing this across 50 countries today. I saw that Georgia was also doing this as well for the Atlanta game, as I mentioned. And then finally, what they're helping with, of course, is with Corona, with this digital vaccine that they have going on right now. Uh, what is a digital vaccine, Avi? What the hell is that? 
So you don't actually physically have to go get the vaccine anymore. You can download an app. Now, completely kidding, folks. Uh, this actually helps with the scheduling of result tracking. It will upload that information for your doctor. And really, again, this okay. is your own like CRM right. for everything. So it's not like an e-vaccine. Like I can't just like no, upload it's not. it narrowly style. Okay. All right. All right. Wow. But they are helping like, a lot. Yeah, dude, I was like, that's insane. Like, it's like we're getting an over-the-air update. I was waiting for the day that happens because it will yeah, happen. Yeah, one day, like, one day that will happen. And you see what Doc did with Lavongo, right? They went out, grabbed Lavongo Healthcare. Why can't these guys do something similar, right? I, the guy, CEO, came from that background. He was in medical devices, right? He started there. And so I could see them picking up a, a company here later on. The one thing I don't love is their ticker is going to change to SHCR. It does not pass the Avi <laughs> indicator. We would love to have it be CARE, so C-A-R-E. So if you guys are listening, please change the ticker symbol, and this thing is going to absolutely be a dominant pound for years to come. Yeah, Avi. I- I'll pound this with you. Like, Here's the thing. It was on the Bible because I knew that the team would be great and pick a good company. But I didn't really dive into how much it was like great because I really base it off of market initial reactions, right? So there's so many things that had deals that were skyrocketing that I knew buyers were already in there. So they wouldn't really all leave, right? Like there's going to be eventually pops and dips. So you can see where the volume's moving and like people just haven't really been all over it, except for honestly, Fintwit's like cracked out on this thing right now. Like uh, we had like what, 50 people talk about FCAC all the day, like, hey, I pound it, pound it, pound it. Like, I guess they really want us to take a look at it again. And honestly, there's a lot of these health plays that don't have profitability, that don't have like clear, concise, stable revenue that you can see and you know it's coming in that way and growing and doing different things. So I think this is one of those plays where like if I wanted a health play, it's like a longer term kind of I could see it going to 30 by 2023 to 50, you know, just like giving it even a a 10x or 20x multiple, right? But, but then you think about the 51% EBITDA margins. There's no merger yet. There's no ticker change. So you still have the $10 floor. What is it trading at like 11s or 12 or whatever it's at? It's like very cheap here at a four bill valuation for, right. They're profitable. They're not even trading over like 10x sales. I think it's good. Got to give a quick shout out again to C Juice there. He's an absolute legend in the meme game. And he kept pounding this stock over and over again in my DMs. And so finally thought we'd take a look at it again. And I'm sure glad I did. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is time to change my voice because this is one of the most (laughs) anticipated stock moments of Pounding the Tables history. Tony is very, very excited to bring to you, ladies and gentlemen, none other than the one, the only, CF. M-L-F. Ah, and the crowd goes wild. He's <laughs> done it. He's done it. Yeah, okay. I've been waiting to talk about this stock for four months because I've been in it for four months. So you might have seen it floated around Twitter here and there, but you all know where it came from. I love it. It's my baby. And okay, I, I went too far. This is the stock I had 25% of my holdings in because I was sure with the management team. And we waited, we waited, and then now we see four. So this to me, like, I mean, the company as, as the company itself was not what I was expecting, but I actually found that it was better than what I wanted to have happen because of a few reasons I'll get into. So of course, I'll just like backtrack and say like, this is like the SPAC that I knew would just crush. I mean, you've got Kazan Capital, unreal track records, probably the single best healthcare investor overall, right? You've got Sean George, co-founder and CEO of NVTA, Invitae. You've got Emily LaProust, co-founder and CEO of Twist. So TWST, ticker symbol. Nat Turner, co-founder and CEO of Flatiron Health. Keith Meister, previous CEO of Icon Enterprises, like Carl Icon. You've got big investors from Blackstone, BlackRock, and of course, 
our favorite person, Kathy, she slammed this. And with good reason. I mean, the CEO of CMLF is actually a complete beast. And I would love to have him on the pod because he seems like a genius. So Eric Shad is actually one of the most impressive guys I've seen in this space. He's chief scientist of Rosetta Infarmix, head of genomics, computational biology, and systems biology for Merck, founding director of Sage Bio Networks, chief scientific officer of Pacific Biosciences. So PAC-B, that stock that Kathy took from six to 45, because it was like one of the core genomics plays in most people's portfolios. So for me, this guy, you know, he, he wrote 450 plus like peer reviewed journals and he's like the top 0.01% of all published scientists. Like he's no slouch. And for me, this is one of those companies that I love its founder led, right? You have a lot of these other companies. Some of these other genomic companies are not led by the guys who are in there making stuff like this. He's the Elon for this. Like that I'll explain everything about what this thing does because he can't say it in a sentence, but that's pretty much what I think about him. So I will be happy to put my money behind him as I'm happy to put the money behind the CEO of Lucid. So their vision, SEMA4, is to be the world leader at generating, collecting, and analyzing longitudinal patient health data in partnership with not only patients, but providers also to deliver comprehensive solutions to help treat patients and enable next generation drug development. So they're saying there is so much data. There is data every single where that you can look under every rock, nook, and cranny. There's a data nugget right there that how do we take it and how do we use it? And no one else is really using the data now. Like all these other health companies are collecting a ton of data, right? Like some of them are using it well. I think Livongo and TDoc have a great synergy there where they're using and sharing and then engineering the data, but not in the way that SEMA4 is engineering the data, in my opinion. I mean, I'll get, I'll, I'll, I'm getting ahead of myself because I'm excited. And this is my largest holding, so I'm very excited. So the, the core of SEMA4 here is pretty much like their Centralis platform. So they integrate proprietary data feeds from all genomic insights, patient records, public databases, and that allows for them to develop extensive disease maps. So that really, really helps you to make individualized health course trajectories for all patients and then to make actionable treatment protocols for the entire healthcare ecosystem. So this machine is definitely harnessing all the buzzwords power of like, you know, AI, neural nets, deep learning, machine learning, it's everything. And it's there to find out, predict, plan, track, and prevent your health from getting worse and make sure it stays as good as it can possibly be. And this is actually kind of crazy, Avi, because my pound is your pound. So now we're really pounding it. And it's kind of sick because your company is very, FCAC is very similar to CMLF, and it, it, but they do very, very different things. It's just, you can see that harnessing the data for your patients, and that's what I'm getting at. It's like harnessing the data that your patients provide you and then figuring out what to do with it is going to be the solution to this in the future. That's how you get those good. costs down, right? It's data for good. So for me, like this is what they're all about. Their, their core mission is to engineer this data. They're, they're super tech-focused company incorporating all these digital tools to enable this deep engagement with their patients and their providers for any reason at any time at all. And it's really important since healthcare decisions require these unique healthcare recommendations. So there's so much health data, once again, that we can just harness and use, but barely are doing any of it. And now it's like, once again, it's like that book you sent me where, you know, it's of the future. I go to the bathroom, it tells me what's wrong with me or what's right with me. So it's going to get to there one day. And the only way you can do it is by engineering data to be able to predict it and model it and then track it for you the whole time to make sure it's getting better and better every day. If you can find the tumor on the first second it hits your body in the first cell, that's the difference, right? That like, would you rather find it six months in or six seconds in? I'd rather find it six seconds in. 
And that's why you put your money behind these kind of things, in my opinion, because I really strongly think that this is where the future is going to have to go. Everything is great. We can advance our TVs and our computers and our cell phones and our cars and whatever you want, advance yeah, it as much ourselves? as you want. Right. Ourselves <laughs> is the only way we can even enjoy it. Right. Like you're talking about Big Brother. Who gives a shit? First of all. Right. Like I'd rather be alive than like worry about my privacy. Right. Like if I can find that tumor in six seconds versus six months, you can you can sleep next to me, whatever. Like it's all good. <laughs> the thing about SEMA4 though is that they're really trying to get there and where I'm talking about. So they've got DNA, you've got DNA, RNA, microbiome, immune system, proteonomics, which is going to be massive. And like we haven't even touched on that at all, but that's like that's that's where it's at. Diagnoses, drugs, labs, procedures, cost information, devices worn, and data from those devices, mobile apps and data on those apps tracking wellness, and so much more. And so they integrate and leverage all the information from all these different things. Like, I mean, they're they're taking anything they can get their hands on and trying to figure out what the hell is going to happen to you and what the hell to do right now to make sure it doesn't happen to you. And the thing that this company is doing more than any other company, in my opinion, is figuring out exactly what to do with the data. So everyone's going to have data. And now this makes me think that they're like kind of almost like a pick and shovels company because they're they're going to keep increasing these scales of data and then they become much more advanced predictive models. And then SEMA4 will turn this like naive disease characterization of something you're like, you're like, oh, I don't know what that is, but it's going to give you that advanced personalized treatment and figuring out what could go wrong and what is wrong with you. And I'm going to keep touching on that because that's it's all it is. That's why Livongo did so well. It was preventative. And TDoc did well, but it'll never do as well as Livongo because that's more intensive. Preventing it cuts out the costs. Dealing with it is the costs. The insurance companies will do whatever it takes to avoid those heavy costs, right? So I don't know if you have a number. Is there like a cost that's been associated with? Yeah, you know, yeah. Like McKinsey this? says that better insights and tools like partnering with health systems to restructure and like curate that information for medical records is going to save about a hundred billion annual in the medicine and pharma industry. And you know, health is like one of the biggest single things that we pay for as a country and as individuals, right? So it's going to be lower healthcare premiums for people. It's going to be lower healthcare costs for the people providing the care. And it's it's just going to help so much all over around it. They're using this predictive modeling, advanced data engineering, bioinformatics algorithms, patient engagement, individualized health course trajectories. This is what they're focusing on, right? They want to be the one-stop shop where they have all your data. They tell you what's going on with you. They tell you when you need to go to the little thing that's going to revive you all the way, like in the movie Elysium. That's what it is, in my opinion. So it's a pick and shovels for the space, in my opinion, because even other companies like TDOC or like someone else could eventually benefit from using them. So they already have contracts with all the major national health, Blue Cross Blue Shield, Cigna, Humana, United Healthcare. So that's pretty much like big dogs right there. They're at the table. Okay, they're, they're not like trying to get at the table. They're sitting there having bread. They're basically just multiple companies in one. So this, this is what I like about it. It's got a lot of legs to stand on and all of it's going to feed into each other and synergize. So it's clinical testing, which we know is really important right now. Direct patient engagement, which is the reason why we like Talkspace and the reason we like ShareCare. Clinical genomics, duh. Clinical data management and AI platform company. I mean, like it's really doing the, the tech with the genomics, with the health, like, and it's like outward facing to the kids. So because of all these different brackets of things that they're going to be able to get into, it's going to allow for really nice multiple expansion over time, because as I'll explain soon, their revenue is not coming from the high margin places currently. 
So what they're doing is they're building a base in one area to expand and take over the entire market in all the areas. And like, if we're just talking 4D here for a second, just, just join me in space for a second. So what company do you think is going to be the one that figures out to incorporate like Ethereum blockchain into medical records? So that, that it belongs in there, right? It's a puzzle I know I'm going to put there one day or someone will, and I'm going to put my money behind them. But someone's going to put that puzzle piece in there someday because it has to happen. Like it's the only intelligent way that that goes. So you're going to have a discussion. It's not a discussion. And that's what's going to happen in the future. It's just, I think they could probably be the ones that end up having that happen. So I love that they have a huge room for growth in those sectors that we were talking about. Like they're going into oncology, secondary data insights, pharma partnerships, health systems, a lot more. Currently, a majority of their revenue comes from women's health direct testing. So that secondary data insights revenue portion is just starting this year, and that's already crushing the revenues for them. They've got 10 million patients, 5 million with longitude clinical data, and 300,000 with clinical genomic data. So they're trying to now get into that genomic data, the more clinical longitudinal data, and then they're going to start offering insights for the data because they're the ones that create the engineering. They're creating the disease maps. They're creating what your health future will be. And they're just going to share that with the insurers. They're going to share that with the health telehealth companies. That's how that's going to go, in my opinion. So in 2020, they did a revenue of 190 plus million, uh, 38% CAGR on revenue from 2020 to 2023, though. That's pretty good. Four years, great growth there. 2021 rev is going to be 265 mil. We'll call it 300 million because I, I know they will crush. Right? They're growing into these things. They have so much money from the SPAC deal. These companies that come through SPACs at fair valuations will use this money to get bigger and bigger, faster and faster. So you have to give them a little bump in their premium expected for their revenues and stuff. That's my opinion. I could be wrong. I, I don't think so, though. So in 2022, they're going to do 360. We'll call that four. In 2023, they're going to do five, but we'll call that 600. So I think people are just underestimating the growth. Like they got this cash. It's, they're going to be in these segments more and more with the money, right? All these companies just need is money. Lucid's got 4.4 billion now to do everything. They're a hundred times in a better position than Tesla was. So you got to consider it in that way. And what I love about CMLF and why I was so gun ho on it was because I know this sector is what the future is. I know it's hot, but I also know that how SPACs work is that they're not going to bring a company public that trades at 400 times sales or 300 times sales. This is a fair valuation. Any way you look at any way you roll the dice, the shit's cheap. So that's my opinion. So I really like that. That's what a SPAC allows you to get. And we got probably one of those big predictive health companies in the future. And who knows, like they have all this data. How are they going to leverage it? Are they going to work with pharma to make certain drugs because they figure out this with data like i have no idea but i just know that this is starting to get so hard that you need the data more than ever to make a difference and the person who has the data matters but the person who understands and uses the data wins you went through this entire thing but you did not once mention cmlf2 or cmlf3 this is like a Star Wars situation here, yeah. or maybe it's yeah. going to land before time and have CMLF 29 or something by the end of this. But. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'll be in both. You don't bet against, I, it's different teams, but people are like, oh, I don't really like the second team as much. All right, Ginkgo and Excess, those are both on, like, those are beasts. How are they not going to do well? It's like, yeah, if you like NVTA and Twist, but you don't like Ginkgo and Excess, why'd you buy the first one, man? It's still Kazdin. You think they're going to miss? Kazdin will, never will miss. If you if you are hitting it, Kazdin hit it first. He's Ray Jane, you no matter where you take it. Like, <laughs> no matter what. 
that was amazing. he's probably he's probably in the thing before he's going to take it public that he already got for pennies on the dollar because he knew right he was first he was the smartest and he didn't have to cheat to do it he's just getting the market giving him this cheat because it's so simple with doing it through a spec it's the easiest way to raise money right now for these companies this is the new wave right like when you add the Amazon, the Google, the Facebooks, who gives a shit about those now? Like, I don't buy Apple. I don't even barely look at Apple unless I look at where the techs are moving. So this is like, you know, we had TDOC, the heads of the table are now kind of getting into that place of those companies. But for me, like all these other little companies are doing that for these. They're innovating on what's being innovated. They're ahead of the game. I still love the other ones, still hold the other ones, but you want to bet on the horse that's winning and you want to bet on the horse that's been winning because you don't know which one's going to win or they both do. So the margins on this thing make it a beast because if you compare it to NVTA, this thing should be way, way higher. Like they're not going to be profitable till 2023. And the one thing I didn't like, the only thing I don't like about this is that they made their revenue and their earnings to income statement obscure. Like I had to sit here and be like, are they in, in this space, do you consider OPEX as COGS and it doesn't compare with like growth? Like how do they factor it all in? Like it wasn't clear accounting. So they're going to have 2023, they're going to have this 500 mil expected revenue. And then they're going to have 60% of OPEX be a portion of the revenue. So, right, we'll call that like, you know, 300 million. So then 200 million is left, which is like 40%, but then they're going to do 54% gross margins. So basically it's ambiguous the way that they did it because you don't know exactly what else is on that balance sheet on that item line on that income statement. But the way that it looks is that they're going to be very profitable by the end of 2023, like starting in 2024. And that's way ahead of the other companies for some of them. And some of them are already profitable, but it's got great numbers across the board. They're going to go to 54% gross margins in 2023 from 22. And they said that because they're getting into pharma, because they're getting into higher margin businesses, like a bunch of different things that will produce higher margins, their income is made up of like seven things. They got all the legs in the world to stand on. The things like an octopus, CML octopus, Avi. So I'm buying yeah. this just for the Ray J line, but uh, the octopus line is money <laughs> as well. Absolutely love that. We've been in CMLF for a while, but definitely time to double pound that. All right, Tony, real quick. We talk a lot about SPACs. we got a ton of questions around what are these top five SPACs in Tony's mind that are close to the nav. So again, de-risking uh, your investment there. So would love to hear from you in terms of what your top five would be. And then second question on top of that would be, are you looking to get back into those right now? Yeah, so here is how the bonsai works, folks. You take the base and you make that whatever you feel like. If things go to shit, how much do you need to get back to where you were? So I think that's what people ask themselves the questions, and then they don't know how to answer it because they didn't ask it right. And so I did that to myself this week, and so I'm telling you this from experience. Figure out exactly the percent you need to be at to make sure that you can get back to anywhere you want to get to, right? So if your cutoff is I lose 10%, I'm done, make your base 90%, right? Like if your base is 80%, I'm done, make your base 80% or 70% or 60, you know what I'm saying? Like make it to where your risk actually is and then make it a little higher because you're wrong and you're always lying to yourself. Because if people will say I'm comfortable losing 10%, you're not, you're probably more comfortable losing 5%, but you're saying 10 because you think you can handle it. I did this this week. I don't know if everyone does it. I would assume a lot of people do because people are like, well, you know, I've been getting wrecked and like, I got wrecked too. And you get wrecked because you didn't figure that goal and risk out. When things are good, that's when you start 
getting off the risk. You don't like pile into the things that aren't going to move until a deal happens. Maybe they'll go up 10, 20% if that's what you want. Like that's the risk. You, you want to sell everything now and buy five NAVs or whatever, and then just like let them trickle back up and hold that 11 or $10 range. You can do that if that's how you feel like, I really think the rates are going to come up. I'm really worried about the market. La, 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 la. You could do that. Or you could think like in the whole bonsai overall, you've got 50%. Well, let's just call it 50 for what you want to have safe. Right. So like I'm doing this for myself personally. I don't have all my NAVs and units now because the markets come down in the growth and I've reallocated a little bit. So because we've come down, I've gotten a little bit more risky. That's just the way I roll. I don't really recommend doing that. I think that you wait till it starts turning back up. I think that it'll start turning back up and I found really attractive opportunities. And so I put my money there. And then when the market makes me get back to my accounts high, then I'm like, all right, so now I want to be 50%. For me personally, I want to be 50% in SPACs between 10 and 12, 10% in each. That's it. No discussion for why am I losing opportunity costs, la, la, la. I saw what happened just now. I know it can get way worse. And so that's what I want to do. But I'm not doing that right now because I'll roll with the punches and I'll trade my way out of whatever this is going to be if it's going to be something. So I already do have my bonsai, but it's like 20, 25% because things have come down. So for me, that 50% of risk gets smaller. So it goes from 50% to 40% of safety to 30% of safety to 20% and usually stops at 20%. I always keep about 20, 25% of safety, but then I allocate into the things that have gone down a lot. So that's kind of what I've been doing in the last little weeks. Like all the heads of the table are at like their VWAPs, like everything's looking like things have started to bottom out on the growth side. The market tanked 40 points on Friday and the growth that closed up highs of the day. Like those are indications that it's different. And it was an, a month end thing. It could have been pension selling. It could have been the bond auction rates rising. It could have been so many things. You've got monthly inflows coming. You know, I don't think that this is going to be a huge deal. And so NAVs to me are more like, I'm going to start accumulating them every day. Let's say I have a position and it goes to the moon and I trim that a little bit. I'll trim that and I'll throw it into an NAV and, I, and I'll keep it there. So right now, the ones I'm looking at are Ajax, AJAX. That is a beast team. They're ridiculous. I mean, like if you just look at the companies bought by the people there, it's like, I want to buy whatever they're buying next. Altimeter growth, very similar there. I mean, and that one was really high. Those two were both like at a premium. And so I like that they've come down now. Like if you're thinking I want to go risk off and stuff like NAVs now is fine, right? If you think we're going to go down 20, 30% more, you can either, you know, get cash, get NAVs. This is a way to lighten up. But if you think we're going to go higher, this is when you start out, you start looking at the ones you want to allocate. And then once your positions you already have move up, you go in back into the NAVs because the NAVs may not take off for months and months and months. So right, if you're down, how, how are you going to get back up if you have everything and things that don't move? So that's the hard thing. So I love AGC, altimeter growth. I love Ajax. Of course, HAAC has actually come down quite a bit and it's still just like a beautiful level for me. Those are the Livongo guys. HAAC, CMLF two, you know, two and three. Uh, I love FMAC here. I think that's very cheap. Um, what else am I looking at here? I mean, there's just so many names. Soaring Eagle, right? So we'll we'll pound the hell out of that. I'll, I'll insta pound that right now because that's going to be the same guys who brought you DraftKings, the same guys who brought you Skills, identical, identical. I don't know how they missed. Those are two of the best SPACs, the strong, consistent, never did that huge spike and dive to zero kind of thing. Like it's not a highly in situation. So pounding the table on those. But once again, like understand where you are in the markets and figure out where you want to go. Because if you go all in NAVs or cash right now or whatever, and the market rips, 
The psychology of buying back in way higher when we're already extended and you were worried about a 20% crash is a recipe for disaster mentally. So figure it out as you go along. And I, I think making these huge rash decisive all in or all out movements are different. Like you can just like trade with half your account or invest with half your account, right? Like there's a lot of ways to do it. You don't have to go to bed every night worrying. But if you are going to bed every night worrying, Avi, don't you have something for us? Tony, you are getting smooth with these transitions, my friend. I just want to give a quick shout out again to 5E Hemp and KM Relief. Phenomenal CBD products. We have a promo code PTT20. Get yourself 20% off. We will put the links in our Twitter and in the email. And Tony, I am super excited for the upcoming episodes. Next week, we got Chris Peruna. The following weeks, we have several other amazing guests. And we got our rest the past two weeks. I didn't mean to rhyme here, but we are cruising along. And I want to finish the episode, as always, with the Tony Talks. Tony, give us some wisdom for the week ahead here. Look, guys, all I can say is we're, we're in there with you, right? Like, you guys have a bad day. We probably had a bad day. You have a good day. We hopefully had a good day, too. But the thing about the markets is it's not always going to be a good day. It's not always going to be a bad day. But that doesn't mean that your life has to be bad because the markets are bad. That's like one thing that I really have trouble with is like my life is directly tied to the S&P 500. And you can put that on a t-shirt, Avi, because it's true. I mean, like the markets are good. I'm feeling good. The markets are bad. And even if I'm making money, I'm feeling bad because I know other people are losing money in the situation. So all I can say is like in all objectivity, we are very, very high up in the markets. If some meteor kind of thing were to come hit the markets, right? Like it'll be the kind of crash that you guys are going to have trouble with and I'm going to have trouble with and it's going to be a tough time right like it's going to be bad and I'm not saying it's now and I'm not saying it's this month or next month or six months or 12 months I don't know but in my opinion there is the potential for something to come out and hit the markets because I'm starting to see that people are thinking that it could be this or thinking it could be that so people are on alert. And of course, that doesn't mean usually that we're going to crash right now. If everyone's paying attention to it and they know what it is, like it's not like, you know, it's the self-fulfilling prophecy can happen a little bit, but it's more of like a March happened really badly last year because no one expected it. And so just be prepared for anything, right? Like smart trader, like Sam always tells me, he's like, anything can happen. And that's the truest thing ever. Like who knows, they raise rates, the S&P is down to 3000 and like all the growth, everything gets cut in half. And that's how that cookie is going to crumble. So for me, the smartest thing is this bonsai, this SPACs and NAV, like protect yourself, cash. Like, am I bullish? Yeah, I think the market's going to go to 5,000. But what I have seen, I have not liked. And even for myself, I have not liked it. And this is just to make sure that everyone can pay their bills and pay their debts and do everything. Like, I know there's a lot of new people listening to this episode I will tell you that context is so key, like understanding where we are right now, right? The pounds in the Bible are still crushing. Like we're in Marlon Paris's thing. We're still up 13% on the year and the S&P is like barely up a few percent on the year. So it think things are doing well, but things have done so, so well that we're getting used to this. We talk about this, Avi. We're getting used to this paradigm of things 40% a day, 20% a day. And every time that happens, I turn into Tony Tops. And so now everything's down at 10% a day for many, many times in a row. And for me, like, I just see that everyone's so bearish. People are telling me I'm going to learn my lesson. And every time someone tells me I learned my lesson, the only thing I learn is that I was right and I should have believed in myself and my conviction. So I think that the markets will be fine. I think that if there's a wrench thrown in, if rates keep going higher, that stuff actually has an impact. So that's really all I'm watching for is any tapering by the Fed. 
rates continuing to go high. Any more like joking around with this like GameStop, AMC crap. When that happens, the S&P goes down. Those are all the things I'm looking for. All this other stuff about like COVID tests and numbers, like I don't even pay attention for the market's perspective. And like, there's so many things, even the stimulus is like going to be priced in, like, how is it not going to pass with Biden in office? So just understand that we are where we are in the markets. Growth has gotten beaten down a lot, but really not since levels three weeks ago. And I don't think it's time to panic unless you're doing something that you shouldn't be doing. And, and if you realize you were wrong, make note of it. Like a lot of people like to focus on their strengths. I think that that's just the easy way. If you focus on your weakness, you cover the hole. You don't, you don't take on water. You can save the bonsai. So just make sure you're out there, you're looking, you're ready, you're being honest with yourself, and you will crush it. And that's all, folks. We'll be back next week with something else to pound for you. So much to say because, like, it's so important. I feel like I've been a fucking eagle. That's a big move. Big money, big